0: But I tell you what, that video did my soul so good this morning because it feels like we're in a normal space again. To see, and the youth hasn't slowed down much, but then to see that here this morning and see that video, what a joy that was. And if you're already thinking about signing up for camp next year, Tracy will keep a list starting today. Oh, um, I was sitting there thinking, you know, I think I've done my share, but man, I I may need to go. That was just fun. (laughs) Kendra's going. Uh... Uh, This morning, we're going to continue in prayer. First of all, we're going to be praying for another fellowship in the community. Top Rail Cowboy Church, just east of Greenville. Uh, Charlie Nasser is the pastor out there and his wife, Angie, we're going to be praying for them. We're going to be praying for the families of Cross Point, whether you're a family of one or a family of more. <laughs> we have got a few of more than one. I I started to count and I thought, nah, I've missed somebody. So, so we're going to be praying for the families. We're going to be praying this morning for the Chechen people in Kazakhstan. In 2013, there were four of us that came from Cross Point that went over and spent uh, about 10 days, 11 days in and, and, and Kazakhstan, but we spent most of our time in the villages north of Astana, where the Chechen people settled after the disbursement. So we're going to be praying for them. Uh, specifically, I want to pray for Joseph and Kulsoom. That was the couple that we stayed with while we were out in the villages. Um, they are descended directly from the line of Noah, And they know by verbal history that they come from the tribe of Japheth. So that that is an amazing, an amazing story. So we'll be praying for them. Then we're going to be praying for our time here this morning. That the Holy Spirit would equip us for the work that God has called us to. And we're also going to continue to pray for these youth decisions that were made this last week. So join me in prayer. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for your presence here not because of who we are, but because of the love that you have for us. Father, I pray that you would lead us into the truth of your word this morning. Father, thank you for the blessings that you give us as we walk with you. Father, I want to pray this morning for Top Rail Cowboy Church as they're probably in the midst of their service right now and Charlie Nasser as the pastor. Father, I pray that his study this week has been rich. And his relationship with his wife Angie has continued to grow richer and stronger and deeper. Father, I pray for the families of Cross Point that we are led by the Holy Spirit, that we are worshiping the one true God today and through this week. Father, I also lift up the Chechen people who are still in Kazakhstan. There's three villages in the north, remnants of the dispersion after World War II. About 35,000 people, zero, zero percent that we know of are unbelievers, or zero percent are believers, excuse me. Father, I pray that you would break through their hearts. Father, the ones that that we talked with in 2013, they just seemed so close to understanding the truth of the gospel. I pray, Father, that you will carry them the rest of the way and expose that truth, change their hearts. Father, claim this people for your own. Father, we pray your blessings on them. Father, then again, I also pray for our time here this morning that the Holy Spirit would equip, would equip us for the work that God has called us to and that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Now this morning, we're going to continue in our study in the book of James that we started um, actually last week. Uh, So we're going to be doing that through the summer. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to James 1, verses 12 through 18. Also, in the meantime, I meant to do this earlier. If you've never filled out one of these, if you're one of our guests this morning, uh, I've done this at the last... And that kind of puts everybody in a a crimp for time. But if you have, uh, if this is your first time to to be a guest here, if you've never filled one of these out, please fill this out and put it in with our offering. Um, If you have a prayer request, please write that prayer request down, and we will be praying for you this week for sure. Now, as you're turning to James 1, verses 12 through 18, I want to point out that God not only gives us a direction in our lives through his word... But he also gives us very real life experiences that pinpoint the truth that he's exposed to us. His timing is always perfect. It's always perfect. And then there are times that like this last week, when the the revelation of his truth is so real, you just stand there in awe. We experienced. I experienced that this week, and have a feeling some of you also experienced it, that this last week. When we saw Trevor Daniel's life and his faith lived out loud in such a dynamic and real way, you know, we were reminded in, in the worship service that some people call a funeral service. He wanted it to be a worship service, so that's what we had. That's what they had. It was wonderful. But several times it was pointed out that every single time anybody saw Trevor, whether he was here in a worship service, whether he was laying in the hospital bed going through treatments, he had a smile on his face. It was very, very genuine. We were blessed to see that witness, that this truth of being a faithful and steadfast follower of Christ, which Trevor was, we saw that lived out loud. Every person that came in contact with that young man and he's now in heaven, but he lived that faith out loud. You know The, the rest of the week I was just, I mean, every time I saw Trevor, I walked away with my mouth hanging open, you know, just, just then, not in shock, not in surprise, but literally in awe of his faith being so strong. So that was a blessed week. Okay, it was. It was for me. I pray it was for you too. Now briefly, I want to go over the context of this passage that we're looking at this morning. Again, James is written by James the Just. He was the leader of the uh, first century church in Jerusalem. And he was the half-brother of Jesus. And again, he did not use that in his credentials. He, did, he didn't name drop at all, which is pretty, pretty impressive. But he begins his wool book, and I've talked about this before. I'm going to, you're going to hear it again. James is not a rule R U L E book. It's a wool W O O L book. It's what sheep are supposed to look like, and we're sheep. Okay, so there's 50 imperatives in this book that God says. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to be. This is how I want you to walk. This is how I want you to act. So, it's not a rule book, but it's imperatives that God says, if you're my sheep, you're going to look like this. So, the first one that we saw last week was in James 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And that's, every time I read that passage from now on, that's going to be Trevor Daniel. I will always remember that, short of. Brain problems. It goes on in verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God's promise here that we talked about last week is that when you go through trials, not if, but when you go through trials and you're walking rightly with him, The steadfastness that we demonstrate has a full effect. There's very definite benefits received from God. In fact, he says that in our lives, as we're demonstrating that steadfastness and faith in him, we are being made perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. With the absolute promise that that will be completed, fulfilled in heaven. Amen? That's what's waiting for us. If you wondered before what's waiting for us, that's it. Now today we're going to see the next step in walking in steadfastness under trials. So again, I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's word as we read in James 1, beginning in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. In sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Lord, this is the reading of your word, and thank you for this word that you give us to instruct us, correct us, and lead us into your kingdom work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So in verse 12, we're told that we are blessed when we remain steadfast. Now that, that word continues to be used. I don't know about you, but when I look at a word like that, I want to know what does it mean. Yeah. So I looked it up. This is what I found. The word steadfast is defined as being resolutely or dutifully firm, or unwavering. Some common synonyms of steadfast include constant, faithful, loyal, resolute, and staunch. While these words mean firm in adherence to whatever one owes allegiance, steadfast implies a steady and unwavering course in love, allegiance, or conviction. And in our case, As Christians, that love, allegiance, and conviction from us is directed toward Jesus Christ. At times, we also learn what something is by looking at what it's not. So we're going to reverse this for just a second here, for about a minute. When we consider that the opposites of steadfast include words such as disloyal, faithless, false, Fickle, inconstant, traitorous, treacherous, unfaithful, and untrue. Each of those words are a little bit troubling as we consider would I use those words in my relationship with God? I certainly hope not. I don't ever want to use those words because it does create that troubled spirit to think. And I like that. Well, this is not what God tells us to do. He tells us to go to the opposite. So we contrast what we should not be. And sometimes that can help us move in the right direction of what we should be. Now, back to the positive side. As we remain steadfast, unwavering and steady, God promises again a blessing. That when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So what is this crown of life? It's a great question. Let's look in scripture to answer it. Jesus himself speaks to the church in Smyrna in Revelation, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Revelation 2. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So we also see this crown of life mentioned in a number of other verses. I'm just going to look at one more this morning. But I want to encourage you to pursue this study. If if this creates a question mark in your mind, go dig in. Dig into the Scripture. See what this crown of life is. See what the Bema is. The judgment seat of Christ is going to be about. That's part of our future that we get to experience. And it's going to be an absolutely wonderful experience. But the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, believers will not be judged for your sins because your sins are already covered by the death of Christ on the cross. That forgiveness is already there. So we won't be accountable. We won't be questioned about that. But rather, at the Bema judgment seat of Christ, our actions or our works after our salvation will be judged. And the things that we did for the glory and for the honor of God will be added to our crown and presented to us by Jesus. Think about that for just a minute. Can you imagine what it would be like to be standing there before our Lord and Savior and He literally is telling us these are the things you did for the glory of the father and he hands you your crown of life can you imagine what that would be like to receive that crown i I can't wrap my brain around that but since it gives me chills just to think about it that's what The Bible tells us is going to happen. Paul says of this crown in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Wow. I mean, that, that... that's a wow moment to think that Jesus is going to do that for us. What a treasure. And that is God's promised reward for living a steadfast faith. Now, James transitions to the next thought regarding our lives. The word temptation. Temptation. Right on the heels of this crown of life, he's going to talk about temptation. Look again at what he says in verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin... What is fully grown brings forth death. So God clearly points out here that the temptations do not come from him. Because God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Now we do see in the Old Testament where God tests people. And we see that in the New Testament as well. But one, one for example, God tested Abraham in Genesis 22 when he called abraham to sacrifice his son that wasn't a temptation it was a test and god was testing abraham's moral commitment and willingness to follow and be obedient to god now did this test benefit god in the least not everybody do this not in the least that test was for Abraham's benefit, okay? God already knew Abraham's heart, but in that action, in that test, it strengthened Abraham's resolve to follow God, even in something that hard. A temptation is a drawing towards sin, okay? This this test wasn't a temptation. As Christians, we have the ability because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are returned in part to a relationship with God that Adam and Eve had before sin entered the world, before their first sin. They had the ability to say no to sin. We are returned to that. That we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can say no to temptation. I don't know about you, but I've and and I've said in the past. Well, I stumbled this week. I, you know, I slipped into sin. No, I didn't. When I sin, I don't slip. I don't stumble. I walk up to the edge, and I'm going to use this as a precipice. So, I forget off camera. Forgive me. But I walk up to the precipice, and I look, and I'm like, "Yep, that's sin." I consider the consequences of jumping off, and then I jump, head first. I'm not gonna demonstrate that. <laughs> but that's what temptation does. It draws us to the edge, it makes us look at it, and then we decide, mm, I'm gonna give in. So it's my desire, okay? That's what Scripture is talking about. I'm tempted by my own desire. But because the Holy Spirit lives within us, we have the ability now today to follow the direction of God and not give in to that temptation to not sin. Look in James 4. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. We're going to get to this passage, you know, later this summer. But I'm going to go ahead and jump into that now because it's it's important for the day. James 4 verses 7 and 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In this passage, in James, we have another imperative from the Lord. That we are to submit to God. Now, what does that word submit mean? Well, if you look in Ephesians 5.22... It's the same Greek word where it says, wives, be submissive to your husband. And that's not about a being under, in a a position of servitude or slavery. It's not that. It's literally, the word submit talks about a covering. Okay? I started to bring an umbrella in here this morning. I thought, well, I don't want to do that. So I'd probably forget it. I did my water over there, so it's there, so. But it's like a covering. The word submit is is talking about voluntarily putting yourself under that covering. In Ephesians 5.22, it's talking about the wives. Voluntarily put yourself under the covering that's provided by your husband. And there's a lot more to it. But we see the same thing in James 4.7 here where we're told to submit to God. God provides a covering of grace in our lives like a big umbrella. And we're to be under that. To submit to God means I want to be obedient and I want to be under God's covering and His protection. Like an umbrella, you can stand under it, and it was sprinkling a while ago, but there was a pouring rain outside. You could stay under the umbrella and still stay relatively dry. You know, you might get your feet wet, you know. But if you take the umbrella and set it over here, still holding to it. Oh, thank you, Bill. Still holding on to it. You're going to get soaked. Okay. And do we not do that? When I jump off that precipice into sin, I've laid the umbrella down. I can come back and I can pick it up and I can confess and God forgives me. And I'm under that grace again. I'm still wet. There's going to be consequences for that, but I'm doing that. That's what temptation looks like. So this imperative is to, is to submit yourselves before God. The next thing is we're to resist the devil. Very clearly resist. Folks, we've got that ability. You know, growing up, part of my my Christian heritage, um, one, the devil was rarely mentioned from the pulpit. You know, it just wasn't. But I had this idea in my mind growing up that there was this, big cosmic battle going on between good and evil, between God and Satan, and the outcome was questionable. That's not true. (laughs) God already has won the victory. Jesus won the victory on the cross and by being resurrected from the dead. Amen? The victory's been won. And we've heard Ben say a number of times from the pulpit, Satan can't scratch his behind without God's permission. (laughs) It's kind of a funny picture there, but Satan is under the direction of God. So what do we have to fear? Honestly, nothing. Because we know who is on our side. We know whose side we're on. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Michael, the Archangel. That's four that's named. You know, I have a lot of people say, well, you know, Satan is just really buffeting me. Well, if he does, it's because of God's permission. So trust God, be faithful, be steadfast through that trial. Guess what? There's a blessing waiting. Okay. But God very clearly says here in James 4, 7, if we resist the devil, he will flee. See, there's not a question about that. If we resist, our enemy has to flee. Okay. There's, there's no question. That's what the scripture says. Now, it doesn't tell us how far he's going to go away. And it doesn't tell us how long he'll be gone. He may back up two steps and be back in 10 seconds. Fine, do it again. Resist, and he'll flee. And he may come back, do it again. Resist, he will flee. And we see that in Scripture where Jesus is as a man. I truly believe that he resisted that temptation, not as God, but as a man. He resisted and Satan left. In Matthew 4, verses 10 through 11, Jesus said to him, "Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So how do we resist? We resist by our choosing to be obedient to God. We resist by our words. And it's not a litany, but it would be something like, I'm a blood-bought son of God. I will not go there. Another one could be, I choose life. Rather than death. I mean. There's a lot of ways to do that. And why is it important to speak it out loud? I think it's important. We see throughout scripture. The spoken word is vital. We see it in the very beginning of Genesis. This is where God said. Let there be light. He spoke. Okay. Okay. He spoke all of creation into existence, demonstrating to us the power of the spoken word from God. We see the same thing when Jesus resisted Satan. He spoke and resisted each of the three temptations by the spoken word of God. He had the power to simply go, and Satan would have been gone. He created him. He could do the same thing. But as a human being, that 100% humanness that was Jesus and 100% God, he used the human part of who he is to resist Satan. And he did it through the spoken word. Folks, we have that same power to do the same thing because it's the same Holy Spirit that lives within us that was in Jesus at that time and is now. Okay, we have that. So we can resist our worst enemy. So truly we have nothing to fear. We need to be cautious. We need to be aware. But we can say no to temptation. Then in James 4.8, we see yet another promise of God. He says, draw near to God. See, it's not just about resisting temptation or resisting the devil. Then we have to draw close to God. And what is his response? He draws close to us. It's just like the prodigal son. As the prodigal son decided to go back to his father, his father was watching, and then his father ran to him. So they drew close to each other. We have that same experience with God. When we draw close to God, he draws close to us. Then he says, Simply cleanse your hands. And well, what's he talking about? He's literally talking about wash your hands of what you do. Clean up your act. Okay. Don't dabble in the temptations and the sins. And he says, purify your hearts. In other words, don't be double-minded. We saw in James 1.8 that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So, back to James 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, we see a a substantial truth here about our temptations. In verse 14. Now, as I read this, remember me standing over there and what happens. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, I am not a fisherman. I grew up in the desert of West Texas, so I'm a desert rat. okay? Um, there wasn't anything to fish for except rattlesnakes, and you'd have, you know, so I did that too, but anyway. Robert Bledsoe, a number of times, has said, Morris, I would love to take you fishing. Do you like to fish? And I said, Nope. I didn't have to think about it. Now, I love catching fish, I don't like fishing. My grandparents, when I was a little boy, would sit on the the bank of the creek going into Lake Nasworthy down near Corsicana, and they would sit there all day long, and they just loved it. You know, they had their chairs, and they had three fishing poles each, set on little rod holders that my grandfather had made, and about every 10 minutes, they would pick up their line and set it back down, and then they would just sit there and just visit with each other. They just loved each other. It was so cool. I could last about five minutes and I'm out climbing trees, throwing rocks in the water, whatever I could do. So I don't enjoy fishing, but I have seen some fishing programs. Okay, that, that's not as hard because they take maybe three days of activity and compile it into 30 minutes and, hey, there's a lot of action there so I can watch that. But I remember one particular commercial in some of these programs that it would, it would appear Different you know, different variations. But it would be an underwater camera and there was a great big largemouth bass hanging back in the weeds. You know. And a, not a lure of choice, goes by in front of the fish and the fish just, if he had shoulders, he'd shrug. <laughs> I just did that, sorry. But he, he wasn't interested. But then the latest and the bestest lure comes by. Okay? And the fish goes. He swims out and investigates it, grabs it, thinks it's a great piece of food. He's hooked. He's got a mouthful of hooks. He's pulled up into the boat. That's what temptation and sin look like. It's our own desires. If that fish wouldn't have been lured by that greatest and bestest lure, he would have been fine. Well, what happens? The fish is lured, no pun intended, and he's enticed by his own desire. The desire then is conceived as he swims out and chases the lure, and it gives birth to sin when he bites down on it, and he's pulled into the boat, and the sin brings forth death. He's in the frying pan and mounted on the wall. At that moment... Our temptations are just exactly that. We're lured by our own desires. We're enticed. We decide to go for it. We get hooked. We get pulled up, and it brings forth death. It may not be literal, physical death. It could be. It could be. But at least it causes a death in the relationship between me and the Father when I've involved myself in sin. Our temptations... Or just that we're enticed. And yet the good news of this is we have the power through the Holy Spirit to say no. To be like that fish with that first lure. Nah, not interested. Go on. And he forgets about it. He gets busy doing whatever he's doing in the weeds. We do the same thing. When we say no to temptation, we get busy drawing close to God is what his word says. So, when we do that, we remain, we remain safely in that covering of the Father. Now, rather than giving us temptations, what does God give us? This is shown clearly in verses 16 through 18. Once more, we're provided the assurance of who God is, what God does, and we see the perfect nature of God. In James 1, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So rather than temptations, God gives us good. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. From a God who there is no variation, there's no change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's an unchanging God for all eternity, past and future. And by his own will, he brought us forth by the truth of the word, and that is Jesus Christ. So who is the us spoken of in verse 18? It's believers. God's chosen ones, by his own will, being the active agent in our salvation, he draws us to Jesus, and we are then considered first fruits by those saved by God that precede those who will be saved later. It's not a hard concept. Those of us who believe in Jesus today plant seeds in other people's lives, guess what? God uses that and He calls them, He saves them. They follow after us in order, not following us, but they're following Jesus. But the way it works, God plants seeds in us, we're saved, others are saved, the next one's saved, the next one is saved. That's what He's talking about by being sort of a first fruits. So how does all of this happen? Well, if we go back to verse 2 of chapter 1, it all happens because of the trials that we go through, that God allows us to go through. And we consider it joy. And as we follow God's design, we experience those blessings. See, by walking in faith and learning to be steadfast, we are being made Perfect. It's a process. Philippians 1:6 says, I am sure of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, the moment, the instant you call Jesus your Lord, you are made perfect in God's kingdom. In his economy, you were made perfect. And yet we're being made perfect moment by moment, second by second, day by day. So that process of, is, is going on. So it was done. It is being done. And it will be completed in heaven in the day of Christ Jesus. So it's that example of done, not yet finished, but being done and is completed in the future. And that's what Greek can do that English doesn't do so well. <laughs> okay but it's exactly what's going on. Now there's one last imperative this morning that I wanna look at briefly. It's found in verses 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Here God tells us that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, I actually preached this sermon back in January when Ben was sick. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to this sermon as it fits into this context. I might want to preach it again this time, but it's there. Um, listen to the sermon and see as it fits this wool book direction. Being a doer, not a hearer only. It's important to hear. It's vitally important to do. That is following God. To continuously daily every step of our lives live our faith out loud to be steadfast in that faith to be obedient to God knowing that our faith is being witnessed by others see as Trevor Daniel impacted our lives our lives should be impacting other people just as well and we have that ability because of who God is in our lives. Pray with me. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for leading us. We thank you for the imperatives that you give us in the book of James to help us wear our wool rightly, to look like your sheep, to look like ones who you have called and saved through Jesus. Father, I thank you for those who are here this morning. And I pray that as we move into this next phase of our worship, that we would continue to honor and glorify you and bring you praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.